My name is Adrian. I'll be taking us through this next part uh, of our meeting as we're kind of looking at this series of entitled Songs for the Journey, uh, where we're looking at different psalms. But before I make a comment on that, I just wanted to uh, encourage you, if you're regular around here and you weren't able to be with us last Sunday evening, I'd really encourage you to listen to uh, a talk we put online this last week, kind of summarising what I shared last Sunday evening. In terms of our journey at the moment as a community, where we know that we have to move out of this venue by the 30th of April, but we don't know quite where we're going to move to. And last Sunday I shared something of what it, it seems, though, as though God is opening a door in terms of us being able to meet somewhere, not only on a Sunday, but what we've been believing for is somewhere we could call home and would be somewhere we can use throughout the week. And it appears that God is opening a door. We're not saying God has opened the door, because you don't do that until it actually has happened. At that point, you go, this was definitely God. Up to that point, you just keep saying, it just seems every point we keep pushing, the door keeps opening. So I encourage you, if you've not yet listened to that, I don't want to do a big summary now. Rather, I'd encourage you, go online, theoasterchurch.com, and listen to it, because it will do you good just to be part of the journey of what God is doing amongst us, including using are young people and children, and you'll hear an amazing story of how a five-and-a-half-year-old gets a picture from God of what she believes the building is going to look like, draws it, hands it to me, and it's basically the building that appears that God is opening up to us. So it's quite remarkable at the moment. Now in it, I wanted to share just some other news, just I think it's good to keep going on the journey. Uh, This last week, uh, I wrote to Edgebaston Stadium uh, and asked if they could help us with the move. Uh, slightly uh, a weird one asking a landlord to say hey could you help us Uh, and ask them for two things one is I asked them for some money uh, by not charging us rent for a bit and two is I asked them for all the chairs that we use Uh, because they may not look nice but chairs are very expensive Um, and so they came back literally on Friday and said we would love to give you a sum of money towards your move and we would love to give you all of the chairs Um, which I think Uh, it's just amazing, and uh, it was deeply grateful to receive that late on a Friday evening, thinking, man, this is amazing. Uh, and then they followed up with a, an intriguing email, which I'm yet to follow up, and we'll see what happens here, saying it'd be great to talk through the PR that we need to do through this and the communication. And so I don't quite know what that looks like, but I'll keep you posted. Um, sounds exciting, doesn't it? Um, songs for the journey, then. If you've not been around here these past few weeks, we're looking through the Psalms, which actually are written as songs to be sung. And they're songs that are sung that reveal this wonder of who God is, but also who we are. But they're earth within the reality of life situations, which often means that in the reality of seeing who God is and understanding the reality of who we are, there's then this sense of, but this is where I'm at. God, would you help me? And therefore, as we get on to see that they're earthed in a lot of emotion and a lot of reality. Uh, And with that in mind, we're going to today look at a song of intimacy, uh, a psalm that probably for me personally is my favourite psalm of all psalms. Uh, I don't know if you're allowed to have a favourite psalm, but I have a a top three, and this would be in there. Uh, Psalm 139, and why I love it is because it suddenly takes this God that we've seen over the past couple of weeks, who is the God of creation, the the God of the macro, the big, and suddenly goes, this one who created everything, knows all of the stars, knows the intricacies of the whole of creation, is the same God who knows you and knows me. And it reveals this God who longs for us to know that he knows us, that he understands us, and that he values us. 
And if you like, it's this psalm that's placed in the middle of the Bible in order that it would cause us to understand what the whole of the Bible, the story of God's about. Of his passion for us as humanity to understand that he knows us, he understands us, and he values us. And what we find as you read through the story of the Bible is it reaches this pinnacle of God revealing the wonder of how he understands and knows us and how much he values us by giving of his own son Jesus to do what we've already celebrated in communion, to live, to die, and to rise again in order that we'd forever be called his children and understand the immense value that he puts on us. And so it's that in mind I want us to look at this psalm. And as with every week, what we've done, and you've probably been thinking, why are there two guys sat with guitars? They're not the proclaimers. Um, or, or whoever the current version is. For me, all duos with guitars died after the Proclaimers. I, I, I felt that was the pinnacle. Music could go no further after that point. Um, but anyway, what we've set to do is to say, actually, if these are songs, why shouldn't we hand it over to some of the amazing singer-songwriters we've got within Oasis and say, please, could you put this psalm to music? And so I'm going to hand over to Alex and Chris, who are going to do that now. up you discern all my thoughts from afar you search out my path and my lying down you are acquainted with all of my ways even before a word is on my tongue behold oh lord you know it all together you have me in Behind and before and you lay your hand upon me Such knowledge is too wonderful for me It is high, I cannot attain it I go from your spirit where shall I flee from your presence if I ascend to the heavens you are there where shall I go from your spirit where shall I flee from your presence if I make my bed and see you you are there I take the wings of the morning We'll dwell in the uttermost parts of the sea Even then your hand shall lead me And your right hand shall hold me If I take the holy darkness covers me And the light around me be night all around me is night 
But even the darkness is not dark to you And the night is as bright as the day For darkness is as light with you And for you, for my inward parts, oh God Knitted me together in my mother's womb And I praise you for I am fearfully and wonderfully made Wonderful are your works My soul knows it very well was not hidden from you when I was being made in secret intricately woven in the depths of the earth your eyes saw my unformed substance in your book were written every one of them Days that were meant for me, when as yet there were none of them. Sway in me 
And leave me in your everlasting Go oh God, you know my heart Try me and know my thoughts And see if there be any grievous way in me And leave me in your everlasting Oh God, you know my heart Try me and know my thoughts And see if there be any grievous way doesn't it as you hear it sung uh, and performed what I want to do is hopefully take something of what we've got from hearing this psalm and give us some tools in which we can unpack it in order that we can then live with it and allow us to have our lives shaped by this shocker this song of intimacy uh, in order we'd understand that God truly does understand us knows us and values us because I think as we gather that that it actually transforms how we live but anyway, what I want to do is therefore unpack this psalm in two ways. Uh, this song of intimacy. I want to look at a reality it reveals. And then out of that reality, how it then causes us to respond to that reality. Uh, and simply see it through the psalm. And so I want to start off with that reality revealed. And then what you're going to find is I'm going to look at this reality revealed through uh, how God knows us. How we're visible. And then lastly, how he made us. But first of all, I want to look at how God knows us, because the psalmist wants us to understand something. You see, the psalmist understands, and uh, there's queries as to whether it's David or not. I, I think at those moments where there's these queries of, is it, isn't it? I always think, well, I think it doesn't matter who it is who's saying it. What they're saying is something that we need to get hold of, and they're living with this reality. And in this reality, actually, is something that is true for every single one of us. It's something that all of us need to know. And I think that within each and every one of us is this deep longing to be known and understood. And maybe you're thinking, well, I don't know if that is true. Well, actually, how often do you enter conversations longing for someone to ask the right question in order they'd understand something more about where your life is at and what you do? I think how often do we find that we have that moment where someone suddenly says something which causes us to know that they actually understand us a little bit. They understand the struggles as well as the celebrations. And in that moment, we kind of go away feeling like this sense of, I'm understood. There's this sense of connection there. But more than that, there's this sense of kind of understanding and meaning and and love. And in it, we're wired that way. We're, We're wired to be known and understood and in being known and understood, it, it brings us this sense of value. And the reality is that every single one of us can seek to know and understand the other 
and yet we're always left a little bit short. There's always a bit where we feel like we don't quite get someone or we don't feel quite understood by someone else. And the psalmist wants us to understand that actually God knows that. And he designed us in a way that we would know through him what it is to be fully known, fully understood, and therefore fully valued. And so firstly, the psalmist says, this is how God knows you. He knows you fully. He knows me fully. He knows me fully, knows you fully, as he understands our daily patterns. And so in verse 2, 3, it says, You know when I sit down and when I rise up, you discern my thoughts from afar. You search out my paths and my lying down are acquainted with all of my ways. God knows the intricacies of your life. And he knows the intricacies of my life. He knows how I struggle getting up. He knows how I'm desiring to hopefully be kind to my family. He knows what my day has in store and sees me kind of making the good choices as well as the, the bad choices. He sees the moments where I'm speaking love and encouragement to people as well as the moments where what I say isn't as constructive as it could be. That he's there aware of everything that's going on in my life right through to when I go to bed and go to sleep. And he's still aware of who I am and what I'm dreaming of. And the same is true for you. This is a God who fully knows us, knows our every moment, every part of our pattern of life. But it's not only in our daily patterns. It's also in respect to our thoughts. This is the one that both is a kind of amazing and yet uncomfortable. Where the psalmist writes, verse 4, Even before a word is on my tongue, behold, O Lord, you know it altogether. That God is one who knows our inner thoughts. One who knows what we're about to say as well as when we don't say it. He's aware of that. And then that can leave us with this amazing sense of one, being fully known. And two, being fully known. That God knows every thought I have. Man, that's uncomfortable. Maybe, maybe actually it doesn't seem as anyone else is uncomfortable. Like, I have thoughts sometimes that if you heard them, I would run away and you'd never see me again. I don't know if you've ever had those thoughts where you think, actually, if people really knew what I'm thinking in this moment, I would never, ever be able to see another human being. And the psalmist writes, God, God, you know all of that. And it's so important we know that, not so we run away, but in order that we understand how vast, as we're going to go and see, God's love is for us. That even the things that we want to hide away from, God said, well, I know that. You don't need to hide. So he knows our thoughts. He also knows that we are makeup. Verse 15, my frame was not hidden from you when I was being made in secret, intricately woven in the depths of the earth. That depths of the earth is just a poetic way of saying my mother's womb. That God was watching over us as we were being formed. That God understands everything about us coming into being. He understands the intricacies of how you're wired and how I'm wired. He understands us. Understand that each and every one of us has been knitted and woven together slightly differently, which is why we look different. It's also why we act differently. It's also because why sometimes we can't understand each other, because we're just different. And yet God sees all of it, knows all of it. There's nothing hidden from him. He understands us fully. And it kind of gives this 
remarkable moment of how God sees life coming to being. Before we may even recognize it, God was watching over us. And with that life is verse 16. In your book were written every one of them, the days that were formed for me, when as yet there was none of them. And this is the bit that blows my mind. That before I ever took a breath on earth, God understood the life that I was going to live. And that can leave you with this sense of, well, maybe it doesn't you, but it does me. It kind of blows my brain a bit. Because I think, what? Well, so you know everything, God, that's going to go on? And yet, to me, it feels like a surprise, and I'm asking you to come and be involved in every moment. And there's the beauty of God's sovereignty and our free will being played out. That God understands what our life's going to look like, sees the length of it, knows the dimensions of it, and yet also understands that he's giving us this free will within it, knows the pain that we're going to be caused, knows the pain that we're going to cause. And yet within that life still wants to bring us into being because he understands that through it there's the potential that we could be those that come into the knowledge of his love and the joy that that brings. And therefore he wants to unpack our life before us with the good, the bad and the ugly because he knows that there's always good to be found in him through it. Um, we could unpack that for the next hour and a half. We haven't got time today. But that, the psalmist just throws it out. Like, God, you know everything about my life. That's how known I am by you. But it isn't just how God knows us. It's also the psalmist says it's how God desires to be fully known by us. So he writes verse 17. How precious to me are your thoughts, O God. How vast is the sum of them. If I were to count them, they are more than the sand. I don't know if you've ever met someone at the beach and you go up to them and you realize that they're not building sandcastles. They're just counting grains of sand. They're there with their sieve, sieving it out and going, one million, three hundred and ninety-five thousand, three hundred and thirty-one. One million. As we go on, I'm not going to count. But if we met someone like that, we'd be slightly concerned about them. We think, this is, you're never going to know. You could spend the rest of your life and you're never going to be able to count all of these grains of sand. And the psalm says, that's how God wants you to know he sees you and the thoughts he has about you. That you could spend the rest of your life seeking to know the thoughts he has for you and you'd never get there. And what are the thoughts he has for us? Well, Ephesians 2.18 says this. It says, you, there's this desire that Paul has. saying, well, I want you to grasp how wide and long and high and deep is the love of Christ. See, this way that God thinks about you and about me is, is, this, is this great sense of love towards us. A love that actually we could then spend the rest of our lives exploring we'd never get to the ends of. Like sand on the shore. And someone says, this, this is how God wants you to know him. To understand that he has this love towards you. You understand that he has this sort of affection for you. And the marking point, the kind of the biggest grain of sand that was there that was given for the, the pointer for all everyone to then explore from that point of, all right, if you love me that much, I then get to explore this forever, was in the giving of his son Jesus to live, die and rise again. In order that we'd be able to look and say, oh, that's how much you love me? And then God says, yeah, yeah, now there's a whole beach out there if you understand the thoughts I have for you. Jesus prayed this phenomenal prayer 
in John 17 where he says this. He says to the Father, he says, I pray they'd understand that they know you. And in knowing you, they know eternal life. That the invitation to know how God thinks about us is what eternal life is all about. It's about understanding that we are fully known by God, but we now get to a life of fully knowing him. And the psalmist says that this is it. This is what it looks like of this reality that you're to live in. That you're known. Known in a way that you could have never dared to believe. Known in a way that no one else could know you. But then he says, it's not only how you're known, it's also that you're visible. And it's a a visibility that's both in God being with us and also God seeing us. So firstly, with us. The the psalmist writes this, he says, um, verse 8, If I ascend to heaven, you are there. If I make my bed in Shah, which is basically the depths, you are there. If I take the wings of the morning and dwell in the uttermost parts of the sea, even there your hand shall lead me and your right hand shall hold me. The psalmist wants us to understand something of the reality that he's known, that actually wherever we go, God promises to be with us. There is nowhere where we can go that he will not be already. He says, actually, you could try and do it. Try and take yourself to the furthest ends of the earth. Another way you can look at this is the, is the kind of heights is north, the depths are south, the seas are west, and uh, kind of wherever it is, the wings of the morning is to the east. And so you kind of look at it and say, well, you can take yourself to the extremities of the planet, the universe, and God's going to be there. Jesus said it like this. I'm going to be with you to the very ends of the age. Matthew 28. That Jesus' promise for us is in centering our lives around him is that there's nowhere we can be. There's nowhere we can go. There's nothing that can happen to us without God himself, Father, Son, and Spirit being with us. Why? Because the Spirit has come and dwelt within us. In order that we'd always know that God is with us. We're always visible to him. There's never a moment where we say, can you find me? He said, I'm already with you. But it's also that God is not only with us, he sees us. So if we go to the next slide, sees us. It says this, verse 11. If I say, surely the darkness shall cover me, and the light about me be night. Even the darkness is not dark to you. The night is as bright as the day, for darkness is as light for you. See, there's that moment where maybe we feel that sense of, man, God, you know all my thoughts. I'm going to hide there's some guys in the beginning of the story who did that. They kind of realized that they'd been told to not eat a fruit from a tree. And they said, actually, you know, we think we could be God here. They take the devil's influence and say, yeah, we're going to do that. We're going to put ourselves at the center. Let's not listen to you, God. What happens there in that moment is God, the father, turns up to say, no, I'm still here. I'm still with you. They hide in a bush to this one who created everything. And they say, can't see us now. You don't know where I am. And I think there's this ironic moment, isn't there, where God, the the all-seeing one, the one who created everything, is there waiting to meet with them and says, where are you? He knows where they are. But they need to tell him because they need to reveal their own shame. And they say, we're hiding in a bush. Do you think I couldn't see you? Do you think I didn't know what happened? And God lovingly meets with them to seek a path that will take his own son's death of restoration. 
The same is true for us, that God wants us to understand in those moments where we think, oh, I can't possibly be seen. No, I, I can see. There's no way you can hide from me. But you don't need to. Because I want relationship with you through my son. But there's those moments, aren't they? Like, I remember with my kids, we used to play hide and seek. And when you did, they just weren't very good at hiding. I don't know if you've played a hide and seek with a five and under year old, but they just don't get it. They just like literally do that. They just kind of hide their face or stand behind a tree like this going, can you see me? Can you? Of course I can see you. And so I got bored. So what I did is I, I taught them how to hide and I taught them the art of camouflage. Now at that point, you have to keep your eyes open when you pretend that you're counting to see them go. Because once Sam particularly, my son, got good at this, there was no way you could find him. And so I'd continuously say, I'm looking for you, thinking I better keep an eye on you because I'm never going to find you. Unfortunately, I never told Lucy that. I never told Lucy that I taught Sam the art of camouflage. So she took him and said, let's play hide and seek. It took an hour to find him. <laughs> That's a good parenting lesson. Don't do that. But in it, God, it's not like that. He, he always sees us. There's nowhere we can hide from him. He's always looking out for us. Now, there's those moments, isn't there, where it says, well, what about if darkness, I take myself into darkness. What about if I'm taken into darkness? This is the bit that I think undoes me. That even darkness is like light to you, God. I don't know if you've ever had that moment where suddenly life circumstances engulf you and it just feels like darkness. It, it doesn't feel like there's hope. It feels like despair setting in. We haven't got a God, a Father, Son and Spirit who, who waits on the sidelines we haven't got this distant clock manufacturer who just thinks, well, okay, you're in darkness. Let's see how you get out of this one. Let's wait till you get out of the darkness and then you'll remember that I'm the light. It says he comes and meets us in the darkness with his light. And that's, that's amazing. It isn't that necessarily the darkness is suddenly going to go. It's that suddenly in the darkness, God is with us. It's suddenly in the darkness of those despairing moments that God comes and reveals the wonder of his light even there. To say there's nothing that can keep you from my presence. There's no one who can stand in the way of me. And I tell you what, that is one of the greatest hopes we have in this life. If you've ever been in darkness, you know it. If you're in it, God is longing for you to discover this, if you've not already. That it isn't that God waits on the sidelines for you to find a way out. He's longing to come and meet you there. And just to say, if you know someone and I love someone who is in darkness at the moment, it might be through despair, it might be through kind of mental illness, it might be through uh, circumstances of uh, pain or illness that's going on physically, it may be in terms of a uh, life situation they're facing. <coughs> Your, light, your goal isn't to try and drag them out. Because if you do that, all you'll do is cause misunderstanding and hurt. The goal and the beauty that you get to do is you, you get to go and be with them. Not to try and pretend you know the darkness, but to cause them to understand that God sees them there. And that his light can be there with them. And I tell you, when you bring that, that brings comfort. But it's not only visibility, it's also in the fact that we have been made. Verse 14, I am 
fearfully and wonderfully made. You are fearfully and wonderfully made. Not you could have been. Not compared to so-and-so, probably not as fearfully and wonderfully made. No, you are, I am fearfully and wonderfully made. This isn't like a self-help group. Isn't it this bit that I'm kind of wanting to put a book out there that's going to cause everyone to read it and think, oh yes, I'm fearfully and wonderfully made. No, no, this is a reality for us to live in. I, I um, emailed a friend of mine, um, Emily Maxted. I was hoping she'd be here this morning. She's actually away this weekend. Emily has recently graduated as a doctor. And I, I said to her, look, you kind of know way more than me about bodies because you've studied it. All I'm going to do is Google it. Um, could you tell me 10 things that cause you to understand how fearfully and wonderfully we've been made. Now, I haven't got time to do all ten, but I'm just going to pick out some of the ones she said. Now, to be honest, some of them I don't really understand, but I still think, man, that's pretty amazing. So first, she says, there are tiny receptors in our carotid arteries in our neck. I know where the neck is. That can (laughs) detect any change in our blood pressure and cause a direct response to correct it. That's pretty awesome. Second thing, if someone has a lazy eye, which isn't aligned with the other eye, the brain learns to switch off from that eye in order that you can still see clear images. Third thing, our heart beats on average 115,200 times a day. I still find this incredible. And when I listen to a heart, I still find it amazing to hear the sounds it makes. Let's fast forward a bit. There are roughly one million neutrons, sorry if I'm not reading this correctly for people who are medical and are going to come and punish me afterwards, in the kidney. There's a million neutrons in the kidney. These act to filter the body to keep the level of salts in perfect range. We can damage about half of these neutrons before there would be any change to our kidney function. When our bodies are severely ill or there is blood loss, our arteries constrict on the organs that aren't as vital for us to survive and dilate to allow maintenance of blood, maintaining blood to flow to our vital organs in order to keep us alive. In our lungs, we have roughly 300 million alveolo. How do you say that, Greg? Alveoli. There we go. There's enough medics over there. They're just looking, looking at me going, just ask me to read the list, Adrian. <laughs> <laughs> but you still come here. You know what you got when you got with me. Um, say it again. Alveolo. <laughs> Fearfully and wonderfully, mate. Um, these are tiny one-cell thick sacs which are right next to a one-cell layer thick blood vessel called capillaries. If either of these were any thicker, exchange of oxygen and carbon dioxide would not be able to happen. For me, it's at those moments you think our bodies are fearfully and wonderfully made. We might not think, man, I look amazing, but I tell you what, we are fearfully and wonderfully made. 
So the question then is, if this is how the psalmist sees it. Remember, this is written thousands before. We've got amazing doctors like this who study for years, have opened up and analyzed the body. And this psalmist sees this and says, isn't this how it is? And we take it for granted. Oh, yeah, you obviously read a medical manual. And he didn't. He just saw it and pondered how wonderful we are, how fearfully we're made. See, from this reality that's revealed, it then causes us to respond to that reality. And let's just quickly look at the response we make. See, I'd say the response we make is one of the light that causes us to understand the, the, the wonderful works that is us, that causes us to say that our souls know it very well, that how precious to us are God's thoughts, because what it causes us to understand is the very core of our being that we are delighted in by God, and it gives us great delight in who we are. The course is to say, I am fully known. I'm understood. And I'm valued. I'm valued by one who always is present with me, is always seeking me and to, uh, to see me. I'm valued in one who's fearfully and wonderfully made me. It causes me not only to be able to read words but about it, but also to scratch my head thinking, that, that's just awesome. I didn't get to tell you about scientists thinking there's a trillion different smells that we can smell with our nose. That's a nuts thing. I don't even know that. They're just guessing, aren't they? Trillion. As soon as you get to trillion, you're just making it up. Just, what you mean is, I don't know how many smells we can smell. It just seems it's a lot. But it's that our bodies are amazing. And then in it, we need to delight in what we've got, not what we could be, not what we could have been. It's this delight and say, God, this is what you've done, and it's amazing. And I get to know that you who created everything know me, accept me, love me. So it gives us delight. It also calls us to devotion. I praise you, verse 14, for I am fearfully and wonderfully made. See, this is where it goes different to a self-help book. Fearfully and wonderfully made isn't that the end conclusion is I get around to everyone saying, look at me, am I not amazing? It's rather that it causes us not to turn in. Lawrence is, I don't even know what he said. I, know, I think what it would have been was, yes, you are, Adrian. <laughs> but, but though that's true, Lawrence, more amazing than me is this turning in, not into myself, but rather in looking up to God and saying, God, you are amazing. The more and more I understand how you understand me, how you value me, it causes me to look and say, you alone are amazing. This intimacy that I get to know with you causes me to just want to declare that you are so good. And just as you've loved me, I want to love you with everything. That we come regardless of circumstances, being able to say, actually, I praise you, God. Why? Because you're with me in it. Because you know me in it. And because you, you fashion me through it. So we de- delight, we're devoted, and lastly, it defines us. It brings definition. There's this ugly bit in this psalm. We haven't got time to look at it, but I'm going to give some headlines. I think it's quite funny. I thought it was quite nice how they performed it. But it's this bit, isn't it? Yeah. How precious to me are your thoughts, O God. Do, 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 do. This isn't them. This is my version. Do, 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 do. This is why I was allowed to perform it. Do, 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 do. I hate them. 
all the blame people. Wipe them from the earth. Hate them, hate them, hate them. Oh, search me, Lord, and know me. It's just, it just pops out, doesn't it? And in it, I wonder, two things really I think that are going on there. Isn't that we kind of think, let's just forget it because it is so unpleasant. I think rather, I think there's this moment that goes on in the psalmist's mind where he's dwelt and understood the wonder of how God knows him, of how God sees him and is with him, of how God has made him. And then suddenly it's as though he wakes up from a dream and he looks at the reality around him and thinks, but, but how come everything has fallen short of who you are, God? When I look at how people live and how they treat one another, it, it causes me to think, I don't want anything to do with that. I hate it. I just want you, God. And then when you start to see it that way, of like waking up from a, a wonder of who God is, and you think you put the TV on and you hear the news and you hear someone say something about, I'm not going to make anything political, something, and you think, oh, I don't want to hear that. I just want to hear you. And then I think that's what the psalmist was getting hold of, because actually it's something that Jesus himself said, this very unpleasant moment when Jesus says, unless you hate Sorry, we banned that word. That's why I find it hard to say. We're not allowed to say that word in our household. Unless you hate your mother and father, you can't follow me. And you really think, what? And you talk about loving enemies. You talk about uh, love your neighbor as yourself. Hate your parents. And what was he talking about there? My dad actually is in the room. (laughs) Too much feedback. I do love my parents, really. Um, but in it, what was Jesus getting at then? He was saying that actually God needs to come first. And the love and passion you have for God should cause the love and passion you have towards anything else to feel like hate. Because so is the kind of wholehearted devotion, wholehearted definition of saying everything of who I am is centered on who you are, God. And in that, that helps us start to understand that psalm. Because suddenly what it's saying is, I I don't want to be defined by anything that falls short of who you are, God. I don't want to be defined by anyone who's seeking to replace you, God. I want to be defined by who you are, God. Which then causes us to understand why the psalmist goes from that moment of, I hate, to search me. Because suddenly it's a man, woman, who's saying, So he's not a man, woman. He's a man or a woman who's saying, God, define me. Define me, the very core of my being. I invite you, I open myself to you to be the very core of who I am, to search me, to know everything about me, to test my thoughts, to see if there's anything that is falling short of who you are. And lead me in your ways that are everlasting. Because that is the only way we can end. When we get to a point of understanding how God knows us. How God understands us. And how God values us. Is to get to that point of saying, well here you go then God. Have it all. Shape everything of who I am. Which leaves us with this question. How will you live more defined 
by this song of intimacy. For some of you, you might say, well, I'm still trying to figure out who God is. Or for you, maybe it is seeking to understand that God isn't a distant God, but is a God who's longing to know you in the very intricacy and intimacy of your everyday life. But for many of us, we would say, no, we've centered our lives around God. And I'd say, is this song of intimacy the one that is defining you? The one that's calling out devotion, the one that's calling out delight of you? Or are you allowing other songs that are sung by other people to actually start to do those things? Because God's desire is that we would know how he knows us, how he understands us, and how he values us. Can I pray for us? Then we're going to end. God, I thank you that you aren't a distant God. I thank you that you're a God who knows every single one of us. And I thank you you don't know us just collectively as humanity. You know us as unique individuals. And I ask God, would you cause us to live increasingly in light of that? I pray, God, would we be those who spend time pondering, meditating on how you know us, how you see us, how you're with us, of how you've made us. And I pray, God, as we live that way, I pray, God, would it cause us to live lives of delight in who you've created us to be, of devotion to you. And I pray, God, that increasingly we be defined by you. Ask this for your glory, Jesus. Amen.